welcome Margaret to our podcast. Uh, before we start with the main content, would you like to introduce yourself? Okay, thanks, Shoya. Well, as you know, I'm uh, a professor at the University of Waterloo in the Conrad School for Entrepreneurship and Business. And I have a, a venture that I co-founded with uh, Brian Barge called The Evidence Network. And I'm delighted to be speaking with you. All right. Thank you so much. So the topic for today's podcast is why startups fail. So there have been countless number of books published about successful startups where they choose five to ten startup success stories. They analyze what the founders did right, uh, what were the things that worked in their favor. But very seldomly do we come across books, articles, or even interviews with founders about their failures and their pitfalls. And in some cases, even when the founder is doing everything right, the startup just fails because the market wasn't conducive enough or there were scenarios which just didn't work in favor of the founder and his team. So that's the overarching topic for us. Uh, so let's start with the first question which we have. Why do startups fail, Margaret? <laughs> okay, so that's a, that's a very big question. Um, and I guess it depends, uh, first of all, what you mean by failure. You know, if it's failure to become the next Google, failure to, you know, have a satisfying exit for the founder, failure to build a sustainable business, or failure to even launch successfully and have the, the opportunity to serve customers and provide jobs for employees. So, um, so let's suppose we're talking about the last one. You know, why do ventures fail to gain the traction uh, and the, the market acceptance that's required for customers and employees and a sustainable business. And um, I mean, even that's a big topic, but I think it really has to do about the fit between what's in the entrepreneur's mind and how the world perceives it. Hmm. Um, and that, that takes a, a while for the, the entrepreneur to gain an understanding of how their ideas are being perceived by the world. Okay, and what do you think uh, are the things which the entrepreneur fails to do to achieve that fit that you mentioned? Well, in my classroom, I um, actually insist on the students getting out of the classroom and talking to potential customers and talking to uh, competitors and talking to complementary uh, business people um, and that's because it's it's really important to see that everybody has their own perspective and it's important to understand the perspective of these other players. Um, some people are going to hope that your business succeeds and do what they can to help your business succeed, but other people are going to um, you know not be so sure they want your business to succeed and you have to understand all those perspectives. Correct. Uh, yeah, that's that's the thing which I've been noticing. Like many entrepreneurs are just lifestyle entrepreneurs instead of uh, being like core entrepreneurs where their uh, business is like not the main source of income. And sometimes, uh, even though the idea has potential, just uh, they are unable to just realize it uh, because they don't give enough time to uh, develop the team or the idea itself, or even put in effort in general required to make this startup successful. So um, coming to uh, the journey of a failed entrepreneur, from your perspective, uh, 
what are the common uh, pitfalls from an entrepreneur's journey perspective? What are the things that the entrepreneur in general doesn't do, which increases the probability of whatever we consider as a failure? Well, that's, that's a great question. I think, um, you know, entrepreneurs are, always have an idea and um, but they can get very caught up in it. And so I think uh, what the most common thing that entrepreneurs find difficult is to understand the other side. So I have a colleague here at the University of Waterloo that spent the last 10 years or so working on the problem lab because he thinks it's very important for entrepreneurs to not go down the rabbit hole of focusing on their technology before they really understand what the problem is and what other attempts have been made to solve the problem and how those have panned out for the people involved. So, <clears throat> yeah, so I think that's the most important thing an entrepreneur can do is to get out and talk to people. Yeah, coming to customers, uh, so uh, I think I personally believe and I think even Richard would agree that uh, product market fit uh, in that the market is the deciding factor for how successful your product is going to be. It can be the next best thing uh, after sliced bread but if the people are not ready to adapt to it or if the people aren't uh, ready to accept change in general uh, it sometimes leads to even a successful to be product fail. Uh, and these are the situations where where we see that the technology is phenomenal, the team is phenomenal, but people aren't simply ready to change. Or, for example, let's take uh, example of Neuralink by Elon Musk. People are still very skeptical about implanting chips in their brains because, one, it's their personal body. Uh, there are f a few people who are supporting that, but then there are people who are strictly opposing that. It's like you're tampering with the human body, even though it is going to increase your potential or, or your mental capacity or make you think like an AI along with your uh, your uh, regular human brain power. So I, I think these are the common hindrances. So um, from a failed entrepreneur's perspective, uh, what do you think are the things which the entrepreneur fails to address to the market or to the potential customers? Or what are the situations which the customers pose in front of the entrepreneur? which leads to the failure? Yeah, so that's a, that's a great question. Um, you know, I can speak to my own experience as an entrepreneur. And um, when I and my partner launched the company 12 years ago, um, you know, it's something that you said earlier. An entrepreneur has to be all in. So even though we had a product that customers wanted and, um, you know, we were ha having good success in the market, I also had a job at the university and um, my partner had a retirement income. So we didn't need the venture to succeed in the way some entrepreneurs did. And that, um, our posture, um, I think was an inhibitor to the success of the venture. I think an entrepreneur really needs to be 100% in and also to know themselves in terms of what kind of venture is going to work for them. Like Elon Musk, uh, you know, he chooses to get engaged in these kind of moonshots that take a lot of investment and a long time and that's what sustains his interest but an entrepreneur needs to understand themselves and what they're going to be able to identify with for many years to come all right fair enough um okay speaking about the uh, the moonshot like uh, it's more about the capital 
about the supply chain. Uh, for example, like Elon Musk again, uh, his startups, they are capital intensive and they require sourcing a lot of uh, materials and, uh, you know, uh, equipments from different parts of the world, which probably won't be feasible for a first-time entrepreneur. So what are the things which a first-time entrepreneur or like an entrepreneur in general has to be aware of when it comes to like the feasibility requirement of their startup, especially in uh, the current age and days where people are trying to tinker around with IoT or heavy, uh, you know, computing requirement or, or heavy uh, data oriented startups where they require to have like access to supercomputers or very specific parts coming from different parts of the world such as chipsets etc. Uh, what are the things uh, which you believe that uh, again a failed entrepreneur fails to understand when being uh, wary of the business model or the supply chain requirements? Well, some bets are, are designed to either succeed big or to fail because there's some entrepreneurs that don't want to be in that middle ground. But if you're a young entrepreneur without many resources, then the way I think that you can avoid failure is to, you know, maybe um, envision your entrepreneurial journey as a learning process and try and have those conversations and do those experiments maybe while having a part-time job or even a full-time job on the side so that you are in the community and you're learning and maybe you're going to learn that your idea isn't quite the right idea maybe there's a better idea then maybe you're going to be able to identify somebody else who's got a great idea whose team you can join so i think the entrepreneurial journey can be very rewarding but you have to design it given what resources you have mm -hmm. all right fair enough um, the next step in any entrepreneur's journey would be finding about the viability of their startup in general. And since you're a professor of business model validation, you'd probably be the best person to speak with about this on length. So uh, from your experience, uh, in especially in non-tech related startups, uh, as we had uh, come to conclusion before, that startups don't need to be tech heavy. They need to be disruptive, sure but they can be just improving the, the previous processes, uh, the previous uh, ways of doing business is better, even though it's not tech enabled, as long as it makes things better and changes the customer experience or the user experience for the better, there is a chance that the startup will succeed. So from a viability perspective, what are the pit common pitfalls an entrepreneur faces? Well, I think most people would say that the most common pitfall is running out of cash. Uh, you know, revenues are oxygen f for a venture, and uh, many a venture has run out of cash. But I think, um, you know, that's kind of like when the patient's dead, they run out of oxygen. But what led to that? And I think that's where we get back to not really having the right business model. You know, there's the question of, you know, was the market kind of friendly to the entrepreneur? But Many entrepreneurs started in markets that weren't really great, but they pivoted so that they, you know, had a friendlier market to be dealing with. Um, so it really is up to the entrepreneur to be reading all the, uh, the signals that they're getting from these conversations and these experiments they're conducting uh, so that they can see where there's a fit. Okay. 
And coming to the pivots, uh, so there are multiple ways a startup or an entrepreneur may have to pivot. It can be a change in industry, change in the team, change in the leadership, or change in the startup itself. Sometimes uh, when you're building a product, uh, you're trying to validate your idea, but in, on a secondary research of the same idea, you come across a more lucrative market, and they believe that uh, that's a bigger market to capture or when they're raising funds, there are a few red flags or uh, just, just just a few uh, issues with the main leadership team and the entrepreneur may be forced to change the team in order for the startup to be successful. Uh, so what are these kind of pivots which, if not taken care of early on, can lead to the demise of a startup? Well, I think the most common one is that... Um, <clears throat> The entrepreneur understands the problem in a certain way, um, but the customer just doesn't understand the problem in quite the same way. Um, you know, for example, the entrepreneur might uh, believe that the customer needs to conduct a process in a much more efficient way. So they've developed a, um, an app or some kind of tool or process that increases the efficiency. And then the customer, you know, if the entrepreneur is talking to enough customers, they might come to realize, well, wait a second, efficiency in that process really isn't um, the cost driver that the entrepreneur thought it was. Um, and it's really some other process that the, that the customer is more concerned with. Or maybe it's not a question of efficiency. Maybe the customer sees an end to that, the utility of that process altogether. And so they're not thinking about trying to make that more efficient. They're trying to um, pivot themselves. And maybe the entrepreneur can enable a pivot of their customers. So I, I think it's that's the most common um, thing. I guess the other thing is um, that I see in very early stage ventures is just um, insufficient depth in understanding um, the limitations of the proposed solution. Um, the, 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 there may be a seed of an idea in there, but that customers really want kind of the whole meal. They don't want a seed of an idea. So. Um, solutions might have a germ of a good idea, but not really offer something that's useful for the customer. All right, fair enough. And what about the teams? Uh, so especially I've seen this during fundraising when the investors see a red flag or the investors see that the younger uh, generation should probably take charge of the team as they are more uh, you know, capable of putting in more time. As you said, uh, for, for example, if your startup, uh, I think even your startup's leadership is in the second generation now. And I bet that uh, they have very different time commitments from what you had. Uh, so how did that have an impact on the overall performance of the startup? Um, well, you're quite right that, that uh, you know, the team is a big deal and, um, you know, it's, it's sort of a historic story, but um, the reason that Nokia, you know, Nokia was a, a diversified corporation into cables, into rubber boots, into all kinds of um, industrial products, and it transformed itself into a communications equipment powerhouse by um, putting its faith in very young leadership. Um, and and that you know that's going back a long time when big telecoms didn't do that. So that's that's how Nokia came to be the powerhouse that it is. Um, yeah. So sometimes it's great to put your faith in uh, young people, and uh, they can do amazing things. Um, uh, and and you're quite right that they 
have a lot more energy to put into the venture and new ideas that uh, that really can make it sing. Yeah. All right. Um, also, one last question, Margaret, before we end the podcast. Uh, so if you were to go back in your entrepreneurial journey or if you were to uh, teach uh, entrepreneurs to be successful, like you had one lecture and you had to just summarize everything you learned from your experience and you want your students or you want the entrepreneurs to be successful, what would be the key takeaways from your session? Um, I think in one word, it would be engagement. Um, entrepreneurship, especially for young people, is a creative act. Um, it's like uh, doing research or being an artist. You're, you're not just trying to absorb things. You're trying to uh, put your view of the world out there. Um, and that's fabulous. And it really is focusing. But you do need to engage to see how the world's going to receive that idea. Um, so you need to be talking to a lot of people, and it's kind of the opposite of what we usually tell students in school is to come to school, sit in the classroom, and be quiet. And in entrepreneurship, what you have to do is leave school, you know, get out of the classroom, and make a lot of noise uh, talking to people. So uh, I think that would be it. It's really um, getting out there and listening because, as you said earlier, you know, it's maybe not your first idea that's going to be your best one. Maybe you're going to be pivoting to something that's, you know, just a, a different take on your first idea. All right. Um, thank you so much, Margaret. Uh, before we end the podcast, uh, is, is there any way you would like our audience to reach out to you? Is any, uh, you know, social media or an email ID which you're uh, comfortable sharing? Sure. People can send me an email at the University of Waterloo. All right. They'll find me at the Conrad School of Business and Entrepreneurship and Business. All right. All right. Thank you so much for this, your time, Margaret. Uh, really looking forward to having you on other episodes as well. Thanks. Thanks, Shoria. Pleasure.